A few minutes in the Word this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want you to just, um, you can turn in your Bibles there, you can open it on your electronic Bible, however you want to do that. You can take notes, you can you can talk back. I want to hear you. I want to know that you're awake and, and that you're with me. And you can either say amen or oh me, depending on what what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. I know that it is sometimes a difficult concept to understand that when pastor is speaking from the word that the Holy Spirit is speaking. Ah, that's just pastor. No, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's preparing a word for your heart that it might go into you as seed and that it will bring forth fruit in its season. So receive from the Lord this morning as we navigate the word of God. I'm going to begin at the end of this passage, the, the lower portion of this passage. We're going to deal with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 through 21. And I'm going to read verse 20 to you because this is the punchline of the day, if you please. This is what the Holy Spirit wants us to get to. So I want to read this passage to you, and then I want us to go back to the beginning, and I want us to unpack in context what is being said to us in this passage, okay? So uh, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. The apostle is saying this to the church at Corinth. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So I want you to go back to verse 12. And I want you to uh, begin there with me, and let's just unpack a little bit. All right? Uh, verse, verse 12 says, uh, the apostle says, we do not commend, or uh, essentially, we do not commend ourselves again to you. The apostle says, we are coming humbly. We are not patting ourselves on the back. We are not telling you that we're anything special. We're not commending or recommending ourselves to you. We're not thinking of ourselves. The apostles are saying this to the church. We are not thinking of ourselves more highly than we should. We're coming humbly to you. And we'll just give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf. If we're saying anything to you that's meaningful, if we're saying anything to you that's good, if we're bringing anything to you that's life-changing, you boast about it. You say that you received from the Lord. You tell someone that you that, that something you received today meant something to you. And you share that. In other words, he's saying, we're giving you the opportunity for you to testify of the good things of God that come to you through us. We're not going to boast about it. We're going to come humbly, the apostle said. And then if there's any boasting to be done, you do that. You Get on the phone and you call someone, you text someone, and you tell them you won't believe what, God, what was done in service today. You won't believe how God moved in our midst. You won't believe what you need to be there. You need to be, God is moving among us. It's time for that to become our communication. When I was growing up, everybody talked about God until you just kind of got sick of the conversation. You know, you just always bantering about, about the things of the Lord and, and, until no one, no one would even leave and go home on time because they were talking about how good God is. And I remember sitting around as a child and listening to my parents and my grandparents and, and their friends and the folks from church and the folks from the neighborhood that would come around. And there was just always a conversation about how good God is. It's time to return to that conversation. It's time for you to boast in his goodness in your sphere of influence. 
And if you don't have a sphere of influence, you just make one. You've got neighbors. They love pie and coffee. And there'll be a captive audience right on your sofa if you'll, if you'll just go get them. And then you just tell them how good God is. Mm, I won't stay on that. I'll be here all day. So, so listen to what he said. And, and I want to, I'll refer back to, to, I believe it's the Amplified or New Living Translation. In verse 13, he says, he says to them, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. You know what he's saying in, in one of those translations? It says, if we're out of our mind, as some people say, in one of those translations, he said, if, if we've lost our mind, as some people are saying, so the apostles were having an experience where other people were speaking ill of them and saying, the, the, the stuff they're preaching to you, they're out of their mind. And he said, so if we're out of our mind, it's for God. If I'm out of my mind, if I'm brainwashed, uh, it's for God. I needed someone to wash my brain. So he says, if, if we're beside ourselves, if we've lost our mind, it's for God. It's for his sake. But if we are of sound mind, if what is coming out of our mouth is truth, if what you are hearing is the word of God, then it is for your sake. Let us be out of our mind as far, of the, as, far as the rest of the world is concerned. But you understand that this is sound doctrine and this is sound teaching and this is the word of God and it's for you. It's in your behalf. It is to build you up and strengthen you and to cause your walk with him to be uh, established. So if we are of sound mind, verse 13 says, it's for you. Listen to the urgency with with which he speaks in verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ compels us. We are pulled along in this process by the love of Christ, the love of God for you, the love of God for the body of Christ, the love of God for the strength of the believer, the love of God for the hope of our generation. We are compelled by the love of God. To, if, if you're hearing something and it's hard to hear, it, we're compelled by the love of God that these things would be said in your hearing so that you could receive from the Lord what you need to receive receive so that you can be well established in the things of God. So the love of Christ compels us because we judge this way or we consider it this way. If one died for all, then all died. If Jesus died for all of us, then we died with him. This is, what, this is where the love of Christ compels you to be the person who says, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And it is no longer my life. It is no longer my want. It is no longer my will. It is no longer my decision. It is no longer my plan. It is no longer uh, my idea. I. It is no longer I that lives, but it is Christ that lived in me. It if Christ died for all, then all died with him. 
And he died for all so that those who live should live no longer for themselves. If you're in a circumstance where you're trying to choose a, a voca- make a vocational decision, the first person you should be consulting is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you're facing a challenge where something seems to be hitting a brick wall, some circumstance in your life, you can get on the phone and you can call and you can receive counsel and you can receive understanding from this person or that person. But the first person you should be talking to about that wall coming down and about a release in that area of your life is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He, If he is not Lord of you, he's not Lord of all. He died for all. I love the way this begins, and I'm going to refer back to it right here. The apostle said, we're not coming from a place of haughtiness, from a place of pride. We're not coming from a place of thinking we're all that. coming from a place of humility, from a place even of brokenness, from a place of hardship, from a place of our own struggle, from a place of our own human condition. We're coming to you just like you, and we're saying that we should no longer live unto ourselves, but we should live uh, for him uh, who died for us and rose again. I'm not coming to you and preaching to you and declaring to you because I think I have it all together. I'm coming to you and I'm preaching to you because we need to walk together in this. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me that I should no longer live into myself. You should no longer live into yourself. And we should ask the Lord, what is it in me? Where am I living unto myself where I should be laying that down and living your life through me? Holy Spirit, would you just breathe that over us for a minute? I have to stop right here, and I just have to let the Holy Spirit breathe that over us for a minute. The Holy Spirit wants to whisper to you about the places that you're still wanting it to be your decision, your plan, your way. I know this is very pastoral right now, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. There are some areas of your life, there are areas of my life where we have to go before the Lord and we have to say, I refuse to try to do this my way. Lord, would you come and speak to us about those things? In the mighty name of Jesus. So he says this, and I love this passage, verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Do you know what will happen if you will regard no one? He did. He he said no one according to the flesh. You'll stop looking 
at that child you're raising or that teenager that you're disappointed in right now, and you'll stop saying you always and you never. And you'll start speaking what God sees in them over them and to them. You'll start speaking to them in their God potential. How does God see them if they were completely changed and completely successful and completely doing what God called them to do and completely walking out a full relationship with God? What does that look like? And if you can't see what that looks like, you need to go back to your prayer room and you need to sit before the Lord until you can see those individuals that you're working with or raising or living with, until you can see them the way that God sees them. Because we are to no longer regard anyone after the flesh. And when God fills this house and brings in among us people who are previously unchurched, if you don't see them in their God potential, you will be hard on them and you will be frustrated with them. But if you see them the way God sees them, you'll move with compassion toward them and you'll take them by the hand and you will help them walk and you won't crucify them with your words and you won't secretly doubt them behind their back and you won't say something about them that is negative, but you'll speak God's word over them and God's purpose and plan in their behalf. So you'll be a person of creative words. Because when you say what God says, you're causing what God says to actually unfold. Just like he said, let there be light. When you look at the disobedient and you say, let there be obedience according to humility and submission to the Lord, you're causing that to unfold. When you say to a person who's struggling, you can walk with God. You can be submitted to God. You can give him all of your life. You have the ability by the spirit of God and with the help of your brothers and sisters in Christ to walk humbly before him and make him Lord of your life. They hear those words and they begin to receive respond according to that exhortation. People who the world has thrown away, you have the ability to speak God's potential over them. So we no longer regard anyone after the flesh. We see one another the way God sees us. And we live out through encouraging one another our God potential. Isn't that precious? What is his substantiation for this? He said, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, the apostles who had walked with him and lived with him and seen them in the earth, you've read the stories, you've read the Bible, you're celebrating Christmas because we see Jesus in the earth. But he says then, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, we no longer know him this way. You want to know how we know him now? You just get over there in the first couple of chapters of Revelation. And John saw him the way that he is now. And interestingly enough, the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. So you want to see you? the way God sees you, you want to see that person you're living with and frustrated with right now, the way God sees them, you get over there and you read what Jesus looks like right now. And you start seeing God's potential.
and quit speaking your doubt and your unbelief. I know that's direct. I'm intending for it to be. The Holy Spirit intends for it to be. Some of us are tearing up our life with our words. I don't want to preach about that right now, but that's free. Therefore, verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. Now, let me just break this down for you a little bit. It's important that you understand the passage that we're getting to is in the context of these things that we are saying right now. Old things, listen to the context in which he says this. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When God looks at an individual, he sees them complete and whole. While he's taking them from their brokenness and their pain and their sin and their frustration to that picture of wholeness that he already sees. So when God sees something a particular way, he says it is so. It's not maybe going to be in his mind. It's in your mind and in your life. It's in the process of development. But in the mind of God, he's already achieved it in you. Which should move us along a little faster. But wherever you are in that process, he sees you in your full God potential. He sees you in fullness. He sees me. In fullness. I don't look in the mirror and see me that way. I should, right? You don't look in the mirror and see that. In fact, you look in the mirror and you go, whoa, when did that happen? But he, you're looking on the outward appearance and God is looking up on the heart of the matter. And he sees you whole and complete. So all things are, this passage says, or this translation says, all things are of God. Other translations say all things are from God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciled us and it is our responsibility to, re it is our ministry to reconcile others to him. It is our ministry to, to allow God to reconcile us to himself and then to have and to carry in all of us. You want to know what your ministry is? Every one of you, without failure, your ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Your ministry is a ministry of rebuilding broken lives and bringing people to, into the presence of Jesus and telling them that God is good and telling them that their life, as broken as it may be, can be whole because we have this ministry of reconciliation. And you know what we do? Oh, God, help that reprobate child of mine. Bring them unto yourself. That's not a bad prayer. But you know what God is saying? Oh, child of God, I gave you the ministry of reconciliation. Go get them and help them be reconciled to me. And I will help you do that.
The ministry of reconciliation has a requirement that we participate in the process. And so many times we're waiting for what God's going to do. And God's wanting our hands in the process. As messy as that is, as difficult as that is, as unqualified as you feel, God is not calling you unqualified. He's not calling you a mess. He wants your hands involved in the process of reconciliation in the lives of those individuals around you in your life that need to be reconciled reconciled to God. So he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, listen to this, listen to this passage. That is that God was in Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or holding against them their trespasses. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation cannot happen without the word of reconciliation. And unless you're willing to open your mouth and tell folks, your your family and your loved ones and your friends and your outlaws and in-laws that they can be reconciled to God, they have to hear that they can be reconciled to God before they can consider that they can be reconciled to God passage, the scripture says in one place, how will they hear without a preacher? Unless you're willing to open your mouth, there's no ministry of reconciliation that can take place. But there are broken people all around you who need to know that God is waiting for them to come and be reconciled to him. Go forward. So we get back to that verse that we read. Now then, we The apostle said, he's speaking of himself first. I want you to listen to this, and I want you to hear this the way that he said it. Because it leapt off the page to me in a new way of, in in a new perspective when I read this, because suddenly I realized he's talking to spirit-filled believers. He's talking to people in the early church that were just like you and I, saved and filled. And he said, we are ambassadors for Christ. The apostle saying to the church, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, spirit-filled believer, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. No one around you can be reconciled to God if you won't be reconciled to God. Wait a minute, I'm saved and I'm filled with the Spirit. Isn't that being reconciled with God? No, not entirely. Certainly first step. He's talking to the church not talking to unbelievers. You can't carry the ministry of reconciliation to unbelievers until you yourself accept the full weight of what reconciliation to God looks like. 
So God begins to speak to us of that unsubmitted part of who we are, of that broken part of who we are, of that uh, hidden part of who we are, of that wayward part of who we are, of that willful part of who we are. God begins to speak to us of our own willfulness. I remember the times in my life where God has said, Anthony, the problem is you think you know better than I do. And from the vantage point of my life today, I wish I'd have listened a little better to that comment. So the Holy Spirit is pleading with you. As I stand in front of you today, the Holy Spirit is pleading with you. And I'm standing here as his ambassador to you. For Christ's sake, God is pleading to you in this moment, be reconciled to God. So I want you to just sit there for a minute in his presence, and I'm going to let the weight of those words rest upon your ears and upon your heart. Because I know that the Holy Spirit is saying right now, This is the thing that is yet unreconciled. This is the place in your life or in your heart, in your mind, in your will, in your emotions, in your intellect. This is the place yet unreconciled. Holy Spirit, would you come right now among us and do a work in our hearts? Do a work in our hearts right now in this moment. Listen to what reconciliation, the completion of reconciliation looks like. He made him who knew no sin be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Saints of God, children of God, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to him in your finances. Be reconciled to him in your relationships. Be reconciled to him in your thoughts. Be reconciled to him in your internal conversation. Be reconciled to him in the things that you presently murmur about. Be reconciled to him in the things that you presently sorrow about. Be reconciled to him in the areas where you presently regret. Be reconciled to him in the areas where you presently walk in unbelief. Be reconciled to him in the areas where you presently fear and where you presently struggle. You can know almost immediately where that is. Where is the place wherein you feel hopeless and helpless? Be reconciled to him right there. 
He's waiting for you to say yes.